Welcome to the Impact Investing Podcast from Circa 5000. I'm Matt Latham. And I'm Tommy Gillicuddy. Remember, nothing in this podcast is financial advice, and when investing, your capital is at risk. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. We're back with episode 32 of the Impact Investing Podcast. And Tom, what do cannabis, the metaverse, and pet care have in common? They're all your major hobbies. True, but they are also <laughs> themes that you can invest in. And this week, we're talking about thematic investing. Um, but first, some housekeeping, Tom? Yeah, so a couple of a couple of points. Uh, the first is um, we're going to be doing another Q&A episode very soon. Um, so please get your questions in and we will endeavour to answer them. Um, podcast. Podcast at circa5000.com is the email. Um, and please uh, review, follow, like, share the episodes on whatever platform you watch them on. Um, it's really helpful for us getting the word out. Um, tiny bit of chart news. No major update. No major update. We're still flying high in the Nigerian podcast charts. <laughs> and we're out of the Ugandan charts. I'm not sure what's happened there. The people Just of Uganda have, have, uh, have sacked us off after a few months of, uh, of loving it. Maybe it's our failure to deliver on the uh, promised live episode. Maybe, maybe we need to get over there. Um, so yeah, that's all the housekeeping. Yeah, so today we're talking about thematic investing. Before we start, I think important to say we are not recommending for you to buy, not buy, sell, sell short, any fund or take exposure to any theme uh, or stock in those themes or anything like that. We're just talking about the general area of thematic investing, which is growing yep. um, and has its good and bad sides, but just... Anything we say in this this episode yeah. is not a recommendation to take any investment action specifically, um, but just to give you some sort of things to consider when you, when and if you look at thematic investing. Yeah. So before we we'll go into maybe a little bit of uh, of context, um, and because thematic investing is a, is a relatively you know newish area of the investment management industry, historically, investing has been looked at in a really traditional sense, away from themes, looking at things like investing in certain geographies, so investing in UK companies, um, but you know that's seen as less relevant these days. As if you take the UK as an example, a lot of the companies listed in the UK are global companies that just yeah. happen to be headquartered here or listed here on the stock market, and so that's becoming less relevant. And then the other one is sector investing, so i.e., investing uh, technology companies. Um, but as you know, technology is a sector that's super broad. You know, yeah. so um, it's not always the best at getting the specific exposure. And that, is there any that sector that isn't? utilizing technology more exactly. and more. I mean, so it seems like something, you know, my dad would refer to as uh, now when he's, when he's thinking about investing, I want technology exposure. <laughs> um, and then the other, the other one, you know, from a traditional sense is looking at asset classes. So investing in equities uh, or investing in fixed income. And so that's how things have been traditionally thought about. Um, but I think re more recently, especially true pre-pandemic and then, you know, during during the pandemic, um, thematic investing has become more and more popular. And in its simplest form, it's just investments, companies, um, or securities grouped together into a specific theme that people want to get exposure to because in an ideal sense, you think it's there's a long-term structural trend or there's something interesting to be uh, accessed by investing in a fund, either a passive fund or an active fund that is grouped around the idea of, of, of a theme. Yeah. So, I mean, the the world of thematic investing has really sort of kicked off since, well, it started really properly in around 2017. Um, and 
it's really sort of grown, as you say. It's there's more popularity, there's more thematic um, funds coming out uh, since since sort of lockdown, really. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just a different way to think about how you split up your investment portfolio mm. or areas of your investment portfolio. Um, but also from the fund manager's point of view or the fund provider's point of view, it's, it's an easier way to market stuff, yeah. right? So, you know, if you're creating funds where in theory, at least we'll come on to it, but yeah. they're doing what they say on the tin, yeah. then you can build up exposures into area that you're interested in yeah. by just, just simply buying funds that have, you know, the badge of that particular yeah. name on it. So there's a few different types of thematics um, <laughs> and the and they're grouped in, we've grouped them into, this is not in any scientific way, we just sort of looked at the market and, and sort of, group them as we thought they should be grouped but the first group is is what i'd say is like tech yeah um you know more more just a bit more specific than just technology sector but it's yeah. things like ai uh robotics the metaverse is a newer theme that's coming out uh blockchain was a popular theme a couple of mm-hmm. years ago um 3d printing electric vehicles battery technologies etc yeah. and in fact two of the biggest thematic funds or ETFs at least that are out there are in that AI and robotics space. So yep. You can see that, and that's before, you know, all the chat GPT boom and all the rest of it that's, that's happened yep. since the start of this year. But that that area sort of incorporates like automation and, and other areas as well. But um, I'm guessing the- there'll be even more... Uh- Chat GPT AI related ETFs oh, sure that are will. flying off the shelves. I'm sure they're being will. worked on right now. Uh, the other another group which is perhaps more relevant to to the type of thing that we do is in that sustainable ESG impact type space. So these are things like clean energy, water, hydrogen, uh, waste management, sustainable forestry. These type of areas. Yep. You also get things like um, gender. Uh, gender equality yep. and diversity and inclusion indices, and they're mm-hmm. slightly different those because. They're often to do with the with the corporate stru- the corporate yeah. makeup of a company. So you know, sort of a gender equality one might be how many uh, you know female representation on the board type thing, yeah. or, or female representation in senior management. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily to do with what the company actually does, no, but more to do with the you know the structure of the control and, yeah. and management of the those business. funds are always really interesting from an impact perspective because, <clears throat> as you say, the companies revenue is not from an impact area so they don't really pass the test from an impact perspective yeah. perspective and you can see it when you look at these funds the top holdings in general quality tend to be some of the bigger companies like i'm just going to pick an example it might not necessarily be in there but in the past coca-cola would be in there yeah because they've got great representation on the board and senior management but you know selling fizzy drinks is not solving any major world problems so and you see a lot of Banks are in there. Yeah. You even see oil and gas companies are in there. Yeah. And so they score highly on gender equality, but the company itself is not an impact yeah, business. Yeah, and, and you may even see, you know, businesses where their, their company itself has great gender balance on the board or in senior management. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even as a company, right throughout that company, they could have great, you know, uh, great gender equality and, and, and no gender pay gap and things like that. But if you looked at their supply chain, that might be the complete reverse it yeah. could be an exploitative supply yeah. chain with a great company on top so the, the, you know this starting to get into the sort of yep. the, the detail of of uh pros and cons of these types of funds but um yeah so that's a sustainable esg and impact area the next is uh what we've called consumer trends so yeah. you get things like uh 
you know, where you're dividing a sector like retail mm. up into something like luxury goods. So you're trying to isolate one one part of a sector. You're trying to say, well, we don't necessarily believe in the high street or mm. we don't necessarily believe in the retail sector itself, but we do want to isolate that luxury goods area and just invest in companies that, that supply those. Um, you also see these, um, you know, sort of video gaming, pet care, mm. cannabis, uh, legalization of cannabis funds, those type of yeah. things. So there consumer a, trends. There's a few that came out during the pandemic which were basically like COVID ETFs, businesses that will do well during the pandemic. Yes, yeah, so you had like, like Zoom and... Yeah, Zoom, Netflix. Slack. Slack. There, were, there, were, there were things that had already done well by the point the ETF came out. Yeah. And then obviously faded relatively quickly after it. So Yeah. Um, but yeah, you tend to get a little bit more of the shorter term ones that, that fit in that bucket. Yeah, and then another, just a couple more of, of, of the groups that we've put them in. So the next one is like try, funds that try and um, isolate companies exposed to a shift in demographics in mm. some way. So this could be companies servicing, say, an aging population where you get might you might get like mobility, healthcare. You might even get some like travel companies in there, like companies that are going to, in theory, grow as the population gets older and more people are in retirement. Um you also get ones like the rise of the Chinese middle class or the rise of the Chinese consumer. Yeah. So it's trying to stake, take stakes in businesses that have exposure to the, those markets. Um, and then I've even seen a couple of funds badged as the millennial funds. Mm. And I've looked at them and I can't really identify what the what the criteria is. But anyway, it's sort of... Buying you know, stuff. <laughs> I suppose the millennial generation is set to inherit the most wealth of any generation mm. in history. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and they, they perhaps, you know, some companies will have more millennial customers than others and, yeah. and, and there's funds that have, have been set up. And then the last one really is is in healthcare. Yeah. I mean, healthcare is a sector. Yeah. But this is more sort of innovative healthcare, isn't it, rather yeah. than just standard. I think the health ones, like biotech, genomics, innovative healthcare, you see a, b- a few with that title. Those are probably the most... Um, you could argue robust out of the out of uh, the, the the thematic ETFs. They've been probably around the longest. Yeah. It's been quite common practice in investment management to segment areas of healthcare, and so they're probably the ones with the with the most history, I would say, um, and the most long term relevance out of the ones we've mentioned. Yeah, and and it's important to note as well that thematic funds they don't necessarily have to be in an ETF structure. We've talked about ETFs, no. so they can be in an, they can be in a structure that tracks an index with rules that try and identify companies that fit the theme, or they can be an active fund and an active fund is of just as a reminder is is one where there's you know an individuals or a team of individuals that are actively trying to identify companies yeah. that fit within their criteria and they will often look at the business model of of, of the of the company see whether it fits the theme and then some other metrics to see whether it's a good investment or not yeah so they can be active they can be passive um and and they can fall into a really wide range of categories. Yeah, you see a lot of the uh, the active funds in in health, in tech, and in now in sustainable and impact investing. And especially, I think the health ones and the tech ones they can be used in by big asset managers, big um, investment managers globally, to get really discreet um, thematic exposure to areas that aren't taken care of by investing in these broad market index funds. Yeah. Um, but some of the more like clickbaity ones, you, you tend to find them expressed in ETFs, um, the consumer trend demographic uh, areas. Yeah. And so perhaps good to talk about um, some of the uh, the perception versus reality and, and then some of the pros and cons of investing in this style. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think the sort of, uh, and I remember this from when, from when I was in, you know, when I had a proper job, Tom, <laughs> um, you know, thematics were sort of seen as 
not proper investment funds really yeah. by the industry, and they've had they get a bit of a bad bad uh, rep in the press, don't they? They yeah. sort of they're seen as a bit often seen as faddy. Um, they're often told that you know the performance is not necessarily great in these funds, or they're or they're volatile, mm. um, and you see that that funds get spun up at a quick rate yeah, and then they get closed down quite quickly. So, yeah. you know, especially if something's a fad theme, you know, there'll be a race to get funds out on it. You saw this with like cannabis. You saw this with yeah. like blockchain. Um, you know, there's a buzzword that happens. I'm sure, I mean, I know we're not doing our predictions. We did those a few weeks ago, but I'm sure you'll see a rise in more AI thematic funds this year just because it's the word du jour. Yeah. Um, but you see it where they get spun up really quickly and then they get shut down. But yep. there's actually some research that came out towards the end of last year by Morningstar, the mm. big data provider, that suggests that perhaps all the perceptions of thematic funds aren't necessarily true. Yeah. It's interesting, the research, because when I read this, it's counterintuitive to, I think, what everyone in the investment industry would think. So if you look at, I think the research came out October 22, and it shows that inflows, so money going into thematic funds, um, has been... Um, uh, versus the general fund in 2022 has, has held up despite their exposure predominantly to things like technology, which has sold off quite significantly. Yeah. So the inflows have, have held up versus the generic funds. Um, and very interesting is that although less than half of thematic funds available 15 years ago are still around, so 50% of the funds are available, um, the survival rate of these types of thematic funds is actually better the non-thematic funds across all timeframes, 15, 10, 5, 3, uh, and 1 year. So it's more likely that a non-thematic fund closes than a thematic fund, which is the exact opposite, I think, of the stereotype in, in the investment management industry. Funds get spun up, the faddy, they get closed down. It's the proper funds that are non-thematic that are the long-term funds that stick around the longest. Yeah, and I, I had to sort of read that twice when I read it because <laughs> yeah. I thought that I just didn't think that was true. But then I think that maybe the reason that it sticks more in the mind of a thematic fund mm closes because you know you take something like blockchain there's a lot of hype there's a lot of buzz and then it spikes up yeah and then it crashes down yeah and then i don't know how many blockchain funds have closed but i imagine a couple and you know i think whereas if you just have a u.s equity fund Mm. there's so many of them yeah and you know they can be opened and shut relatively quietly yeah i don't think there's the same noise around them so i think you know and it's probably highlighted by the fact that you know there's there's uh, that basically thematic funds are only still 2% yeah, it's of small. the funds market globally. Yeah. So it's it's a pretty small area, and yet it makes a lot of noise for, yeah. for being that size. I think of some of them, to your point, are they're perceived to be riskier. So they go up, they come down, they shut, they get publicized. And I think a lot of the funds in certain of those areas, especially the blockchain, crypto style ETFs, they're looked down upon by the by the uh, incumbent industry. Yeah. And so they're much more publicized when they go wrong. And so the perception is because they're in the news more for negative reasons that that, um, that, they're, that, that that they shut down really quick, they perform badly and they're faddy. That's not true for if you take them in totality. Um, but the kind of financial press and the investment management industry focuses on the ones that, that don't work out because they look down the nose at them because it's not proper investing as we said before yeah so i think just on this this bit if you like i think you know the thing here is that there may be some sort of skepticism around thematic funds from from the industry the data would suggest that maybe they're not as bad as they're perhaps made out and actually yeah. i think my 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 personal view is that thematic funds can definitely do a job in portfolios and actually you know when you're thinking about investing in a globalized world, you know, is geography as, you know, 
would you rather know that you were investing in companies globally on a certain theme or would you rather invest in all companies that all happen to be listed on the same market yeah. and, and invest on a geography basis where yeah. that's becoming less and less relevant, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe we should make the uh, the positive case for what for what good thematics genuinely look like, because I think within the whole universe of thematics, there's some there's the, the, there's a way in which they can be done, which is not just faddy and not look down the nose from the investment industry at, and then we can perhaps talk about the the ways in which the the, the worst of them kind of fall foul. Yeah, and I think because the the, the categories are so broad that you know it's and it's often the faddy ones that get the headlines. It's often uh, easy to miss the sort of good. Yeah. Uh, thematic funds. So, you know, I'd say the first thing is is that if you if you're going to look for a thematic fund, you probably want to look for something with real proper diversified uh, exposure to a theme. Yeah. But that theme should be a sort of meg, what we'd call a mega trend. Yeah. And when I say mega trend, something that's going to persist yeah. for the next multi-decade yeah. time period. You know, we just say the investing for the longer is better. But you know, you want something to you want that theme to be one of these what we'd call a mega trend so something that's a structural shift yeah. in in the in in the world and that you're actually getting a diversified exposure to that theme without the need for you personally having to go and pick individual stocks and without the need for you personally mm. having to then manage and rebalance that portfolio yeah. i mean you could google you know companies with exposure to x theme mm. and see a list of them and buy them all individually mm. that's only step 1 yeah what proportion do you buy them in when do you sell them? How do you balance the exposure between the 10 or 20 different names that you've got there? Yeah. Um, how do you make sure that the companies are still doing what they originally were doing when you bought them, et cetera? So buying, that's just the argument to buy a fund in general. Yeah. But making sure that you get this proper diversified exposure to a theme that yeah. is set for the long yeah. term. I think related to that is the diversified exposure on the and the number of holdings and the way the holdings are then structured within that within yeah. that fund this is you know closely related to ETFs specifically i would say but you see some of the the worst thematic funds who so they don't have a lot of holdings. Say so there's 20 holdings, which is not that diversified. I've, seen, I've seen ones with less than 10. Yeah, less than 10 and 50% of the fund is in the top number one holding. Yeah. Well, I looked at, I'm not going to name names for fear of legal action, but looked at uh, a big US digital investment manager the other, the other day, and they offered a crypto product on the crypto fund on their website. And 50% of the fund was in one uh, form of cryptocurrency. And these are re- normal retail investors, like our customers, like the people um, that use, use our platform. They're coming to invest and go, oh, I'm, I'm going to buy a fund. So that, and when people think fund, they automatically think they must be getting diversified exposure. Yeah. But then when you look at it underneath the hood, you've got 50% in one holding and there's only 10, 15, 20 holdings. So you've got a really volatile, risky fund underneath the hood. And that's not generally good for for uh, for long-term investing. Yeah. And I think that then you know comes into that with the number of holdings. You want them ideally spread globally or at least across multiple yeah. geographies. And you want them denominated ideally, probably in multiple currencies. Yeah. I mean, you can buy hedged currency funds, but yeah. you know, if you're not doing that, you want, you know, it's about just good principles of investing, making sure yeah. you're diversified across geographies, making sure you're diversified across uh, currencies. Yeah. And ideally, although you're trying to do a, it's almost thematic is often closely linked to sector. Yeah. But ideally, you want it to not be too niche. You want it to not yeah. be too narrow. So you'd ideally want some exposure to other. To a group of subsectors mm-hmm. that are all under the umbrella of yeah uh, one sector, for example, for example, clean energy rather yeah. than say a discrete part of the clean energy market. Yeah. 
or you know innovative healthcare rather than say genomics on its own. Yeah, yeah something yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, where you can build in a bit more yeah, uh, natural diversification. diversification. Yeah, and that, that goes a little bit towards, and this is specifically ETF related. And we've talked about this a little bit before when we're, when we're thinking about greenwashing in ETFs. But if you're looking at thematic ETFs, the underlying index and how that's constructed of those companies, making sure that that is well-defined and that you're actually getting what we describe as like a pure play theme, i.e. the companies that you're investing in are very, very closely related to the actual theme. What you see um, what you see in some instances is you don't have that, but the best thematic ETFs are investing in companies where at least 50% of the revenue of that company is related, of every individual company is related to the theme. Um, so for example, uh, easy example is clean energy. You're investing in proper renewable energy companies. Yeah. Um, ideally, you get more towards like ninety percent of the revenue is yeah. re- is related to the theme, but but no no less than fifty percent because then you're not actually getting proper theme exposure. I mean, you're just getting generic companies that are that are badged in a certain way. Yeah, and you you see this, you know, in the worst in the worst uh, cases, you see where almost you know hardly any revenue is directly yeah. attributed. So like when when there was the, the 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 gold rush on blockchain, yeah, you saw a lot of blockchain funds coming out. And in the worst cases, they were just banks. You yeah, know, you had banks and you had uh, like chip makers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, well, it's it's impossible to see how much of a chip maker's revenue, or it's not easy to see how much of it goes into, say, blockchain or crypto mining activity. Yeah. yeah. And banks, well, no bank on on the planet that I can think of, you know, derives a significant amount of its revenue directly from blockchain yeah. related activities. They're just companies that may adopt this technology yeah. in future. So, you know, you bought this thing thinking that I'm now explo- exposed to the this wonderful world of blockchain that's going to boom. Yeah. And actually what you were doing is buying some chip makers and banks that had been shoved together yeah. in a fund. It's, it, it wasn't what it said on the tin. We've talked we've talked a lot about greenwashing in the past. I don't know if there's a, if there's a term for this, but this theme is basically washing. that's exactly what I was just about to say. This is basically <laughs> theme washing. And I first thought of that when I started to first see, and it's related to greenwashing because you started to see electric vehicles, ETFs yes. come out. There's no way you can produce an electric vehicle ETF properly. No. Um, there are a few electric vehicle players, but nowhere near enough to build a proper ETF. And especially when and these what, funds were launched. Yeah, and what you have just fudged in there is loads of massive car companies that maybe have 1% to 2% max exposure to electric vehicles, yeah. but people see the theme badge and they go and buy. And that's exactly how it's like greenwashing, but just washing based on the name of the theme, pure marketing and pure, and, and like a, a mis-selling scandal, which I'm sure will get picked up at some point. Yeah, and buried in the documentation of those funds will be like, you know, we we have identified companies that are investing R&D or, you know, research and development yeah. expenditure into the area of electric vehicles. will Name an auto manufacturer that isn't. Exactly. Um, We've already accidentally moved on to the case against. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, this is a huge part of it. But I think one of the major, major cases against, you know, uh, investing in certain types of funds this way is they're just flashing the pan themes. Yeah. The super short term. And by the time that the fund has come out to market, that short term play in the stock market, it might have only been a six to 12 month kind of tilt that someone might might want to get exposure to, it's kind of been and gone. Yeah. The case for doing it has been and gone. And that's just the, the cycle of getting these funds spun up in these organizations yeah. takes six to 12 months to do it, even if they're being fast. Yeah. And so they're just so short term, a lot of them in nature. You see, if you, I think what's the, um, is it track insight? That's the, that's the ETF. Yes. Yeah. The ETF directory. And there's like 
200 crypto ETFs on there. Yeah. And some of them, I mean, I've never heard of. They've all got less, the vast majority have got less than a million dollars invested in them, which is basically just the seed money to spin the fund up. Yeah. They're some of the most obscure coins and protocols that no one's ever heard of yeah. that may have been right for a moment. That moment's obviously gone and these funds are just languishing there, sitting there, yeah. doing nothing for and anybody. And they'll probably never come back. Yeah, never. And I think the thing is, is like the other thing with, with these like uh, faddy themes is the fund is not the first person to, you know, the, the, the fund company is not the first group of people to think, hey, this might be a this might be a thing that we, yeah. we could build a fund around. So what you end when you end up happening is as they're going through this process of building the case to to manufacture a fund which has a regulatory process, has yeah. a sales and you know marketing process to go through, um, you know, has to have some investment in it to get it off the ground. What happens is if someone if, if other people in the market think those individual stocks are related to a theme that might be, you know, having a boom moment, those stocks will get bought up. Yeah. By the time the fund gets released, those stocks are now looking really expensive and yeah. have been run up massively because the whole world has converged yeah. on this theme. Yeah. The fund gets released. They buy all the stocks when they're really expensive. The theme sort of cools off, doesn't quite have its moment. Yeah. Those stocks all drop in value. And you end up with a series of thematic funds that launch at the top of a, a top of a, the crest of a wave yeah. and then come crashing down. And that's what, it's that element of the bad thematics, if you like, yeah. that give the whole sector a sort of, bad name yeah. because you just everyone gets burnt in that yeah. certain, in scenario and it's it, incentives from the industry doing it is basically they think they can charge more for these funds and they think and it's the primarily in certain subsectors especially the crypto tech blockchain stuff sold to retail investors yeah. on retail platforms so they can they can put on an extra fee and they know that these themes or the idea of these themes are popular on retail platforms and that those individuals may not know the underlying securities to buy to get exposure to blockchain. But if they see a fund label blockchain, they'll just go and do it. Yeah. And that's the the wrong incentives of, 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 of from the industry of why these funds keep getting spun up is to capitalize on short-term retail investor interest. And that's you know related to the kind of inappropriate mis-selling nature of some of these funds that get spun up. Yeah. And, and, and then the next point we want to make on sort of what, Bad thematics look like is is where we've already met, we've already touched on it, but I think it's worth just noting again under this this heading is is where the universe of investable stocks is just way too small. Yeah. So it's almost where someone set out with the intention of making that pure play yeah. theme, but really there just aren't enough companies to in, in, that are listed on stock markets of a reasonable size to build the theme properly. Yeah. So you know it, where there's sort of 10, 15, 20 available companies within a certain niche area um you know it's just not really going to be a viable product yeah. you only need one of these to perform badly go bankrupt get merged do, you know do something else and and suddenly your whole fund looks a bit of a mess yeah and if you think about it these really really innovative areas of technology for a company to be listed on a stock market and get to say you know a few billion in in, in market mm. capitalization they've had to go through a bit of a process to get there mm. And if you're really innovative, you're normally sort of privately held, maybe venture backed. You're not yeah. likely to be listed on a stock market. It's yeah. hard to get listed on a yeah, stock yeah, market. Yeah. You know, the, the, the major one that springs to mind here is the space. There are yeah. space ETFs out there now. Yeah. Um, and the major space players are private. Yeah. Um, or government related, but people 
they know that it sounds interesting to have a space ETF. Yeah. I don't know how many holdings are in some of these things and I don't exactly know what they are, but they're just, the, the there's not enough, there's not as, there's not enough companies in capital markets to create a legitimate theme on that thing, like yeah. the EV thing, but it doesn't stop people from doing it and spinning it up. And and so, so there's two choices there. You either create a, fee, a, a fund with enough companies in to be diversified, mm. but it's not going to be a pure play on space. Yeah. Or you create one with a handful of companies in. And the danger of that is money flows into this handful of companies and you naturally just bid up the stock price. Yeah. That, you know, if your fund's successful, you'll bid up the stock price on these companies and it's and it's and you end up or or you know, the the whole market converges on these few names that are the only exposure you can get to space in yeah. in listed markets and they just end up overbought. So, you know, I think you want ideally the space to have enough companies in there to be a pure play on its own with a prospect that there'll be more coming to market yeah, in the future. Yeah, yeah. As in, there's a pipeline of companies that may IPO mm-hmm. and become potential listed businesses that you could that could form part of the fund as well. Yeah, the other, the other one, I've, I think I've only seen one on this, is like the blue economy, yeah. i.e. protecting our oceans. Yeah. Sounds great. And it's something that does appeal as, as a theme, concept. Yeah. You know, as a, a that, you know, that's something to invest in. There's probably a structural shift in that, and it's an idea that you know you want to support with capital and money. But there just aren't, there aren't any companies doing it legitimately. So the, I don't know what companies have fudged into that theme. But but all you need to do, similar to looking at something that's greenwashing, um, is just look at the top ten holdings of these themes. Yeah. Yeah. See what number one. See what weighting are in each. If you see like one with like 50, 30, 20% in, then you've already got problems. But just have a cursory glance at what kind of companies are in and you'll be able to derive relatively simply whether there actually is pure play exposure or not in the theme you're investing in. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last one I think is, you know, this is perhaps a cynical view, but often with these themes, I think it's undeniably happened around stuff like blockchain and crypto where fund companies see an opportunity where everybody wants exposure to this theme and they see a way of releasing a fund that they can charge a big fee on yeah basically and that's where you get the the misaligned incentive where there's a clamor for exposure that the universe of potential holdings maybe does or doesn't really exist and then you go well if we create the fund just by having x in the name there's going to be enough interest and we can charge a big fee so yeah, yeah. um good way for us to link back to our four key investment principles because i think they i think it's a good sort of shorthand way <clears throat> to test whether a fund is something you should be investing in is try and link it back to those four principles so tom yeah remind think, us yeah because i think we've trashed the, the idea of, of uh, thematic investing quite heavily but it's important to know the critique of it but we we do thematic invest yeah that's what our platform is but there's a way in which it can be done um appropriately and in a way that isn't a fad so i think number one is obviously long-termism we've mentioned this a few times but when it comes to thematic investing it is a multi-decade long-term structural shift in society that can play out and persist it's not a six 12 month one year theme and so make sure it's it's a super long-term uh theme that 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 can last um the second one is diversification now we've talked about this quite heavily in the episode but don't go for really, really concentrated uh, uh, funds with um, with you know one or two holdings that are really um, overrepresented in that theme, um, and go for things that are diversified across the number of holdings, across uh, geographies, currencies, subsectors uh, within uh, the the overall fund that you're, that you're selecting. Yeah, and then the, the the last two is obviously things that we we think are really important. Is we would say that we only really do is invest in 
uh, funds where there's a there's an impact related argument, and that's because I think it links back to number one, Tom. Where you know if you if you're investing in companies that are trying to have a positive impact directly through their business model, then you are you're not investing in a fad. Yeah. Those themes are naturally sort of. Uh, long-term developing a better future so yeah. you know you're buying an ownership stake in the future you're not buying an ownership stake in a in a fad theme yeah. that, to grab a headline yeah. and the last one our last of our four themes so we've got long-term think long-term stay diversified have a positive impact and the other one is slightly less relevant to this particular episode but it's investing regularly mm-hmm. and i think actually this is just good investment practice so yeah. you know if you've got ten thousand pound and you're thinking of getting exposure to a certain thematic fund why not Instead of putting all that ten thousand pound in day one when you find the fund, mm. why not just drip that in over a period of time, over say six months or a thousand pound a month or whatever it might be? But I think what that does is it avoids you falling victim of this buying at the t- the, p- the crest of a wave. It allows yeah. you to sort of uh, average the entry point into that fund and sort of manage the volatility yeah. if there is some in a theme which will help you stay long term which is number one yeah which will help you stay you know investing in these structural shifts um which is what you should be doing for for decades ideally yeah so that's it that's our whistle stop tour of thematic investing um the good the bad and <laughs> and the theme washing <laughs> and the theme washing <laughs> um so thanks for listening everyone thank you everyone impact investing from circa five thousand. Thank you for listening to Impact Investing, a podcast brought to you by Circa 5000. Remember, when investing, your capital is at risk, and this podcast is not financial advice. If you like what you hear, then please remember to like, subscribe, and share the podcast.